Well, uh, welcome again to Christ the King. I'm so glad you all are here today, and it's uh, good to be back from our uh, short break. And I'm very grateful to Dr. Messer for filling in for me those weeks, and uh, we're sure going to miss them. They've arrived safely in, um, in Georgia, and they're getting settled there. And so uh, continue to pray for them as they, uh, you know, reorganize their lives in this new location. We've been in a series... Uh, and the parables of Jesus. And the reason I thought we would do this through the summer is because uh, the, the parables of Jesus make up about 35% of what he taught. And so I, I think it's important that we spend some time in these parables. We're not going to look at every single one. There's somewhere between 30 and 60, depending on how you, how you separate them. And so there's a lot of parables. But we are going to look at certain categories. And uh, the first one that we started with was one that Jesus said was the key to understanding all the parables. And if you don't understand this one parable, you won't understand any of the rest of them. And so he made it very clear uh, that the parable of the sower sowing the word uh, in the various uh, soils was the key to understanding all parables. And so it's uh, incumbent on us to look at that one first. And we did for three weeks. We went through it in detail. And basically the key to the parables is this. What Jesus was teaching in Mark 4 and Matthew 13 with that parable of the sower is that the king and his kingdom are not going to come uh, as a, a warrior. The king is not going to be a warrior. And the kingdom is not going to come with armies or political power, but rather with seed. So you have a king who's not a warrior, but a farmer. And he comes not with an army, but with seeds. His word and if you, if you put that into your mind, if you get that locked in, and then you start reading the other parables, they will start to make incredible sense. And uh, we won't be reading them just superficially. Today we're going to look at the parable of the two builders that build their house on sand and rock, respectively. And a uh, very familiar parable. And all of us here, living in the desert especially, we're familiar with these flash floods that Jesus is talking about. Uh, those of you that have lived out in the desert southwest, you know it can be raining up in the mountains and really coming down up there. And it's totally dry and sunny down here in the lower areas. And the water can just come barreling down those mountains violently and, and just sweeping everything away in its path. Trees and rocks, huge rocks. And I've seen them. I know that many of you have living out here in the desert. If you haven't, you can look on YouTube. They're very interesting uh, to go see these various uh, flash floods. They can wreak unbelievable havoc in a matter of seconds. And you don't even know they're coming because it's not necessarily raining where you are. It can be raining far away. And that's the image that he uses. And so in your bulletin, you have uh, uh, the passage we're going to read. I'm actually going to read a little bit more than that. And I just want you to listen to the first few verses that I'm going to read, starting in verse 21. And then you can pick it up with me in verse 24. Now hear God's Word. And this is the context why we need to read this, not why I want you to hear it. Verse 21. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many will say to me on that day, 
Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name, and in your name drive out demons, and perform many miracles? Then I will tell them plainly, I never knew from you, knew you. I never knew you. Away from me, or depart from me, you workers of iniquity, you evildoers. Therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, the wind blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on the sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. This is the word of the Lord. Jesus is comparing this, uh, comparing these two builders, and they're just like the one in the sower from a few weeks ago when we were in that, that parable for, like I said, uh, three weeks. There are two people that he compares and contrasts. They both hear the same words. They both build. They start building two houses. They both experience the very same storm, but one stands and one falls. And the difference, Jesus said, is the foundation upon which they build. And so the idea, the thesis here, is that everyone is building a life. We are all in the process of building our life. You might be older, you might be in your middle years, you may be in your career, the middle of your career. You might even be a young person. I want especially you young folks today, you, you, the, the younger of our group, think about what you're building your life on. All of us need to consider what are we building our life on because everyone is building all the time. In the macro, in the large, largely and broadly speaking, Jesus is talking about the kingdom of God and the coming final judgment. In fact, in this uh, Sermon on the Mount in Matthew and also in Luke, he talks about this, and if you read them carefully, you can look at it uh, in commentaries, we'll explain this. Uh, there are two gates he talks about, there are two prophets, one true, one false, which we just read. There are two trees, he talks about trees that bring forth fruit and trees that bring forth uh, thorns. He talks about now at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, two builders, two houses, and two outcomes. So in the macro, in the large picture, he's talking about the kingdom of God, building that kingdom, and the, the uh, impending flood of God's judgment at the end of days, at the end of time. And what will stand? What will remain? But in the narrow, in the micro, so to speak, he's talking about each of us and what we are building our lives on. How we are building our lives. Is it our marriage? Is it our career? Is it our families, our identity? Our, but maybe uh, uh, could be our theology. Think about that. You know, we like to boast and pat ourselves on the back because we are uh, reformed uh, in our theology. You get the idea. We're all building on something, but those things, as good as they are, Jesus said they won't hold up under the flood. 
Because you can be a theologian and know your Bible and absolutely understand everything of theology. And you can get swept away because that's the very definition of a Pharisee. They knew the Bible better than we do. They knew their doctrine. They understood it. But they didn't know Him. And Jesus is very clear in other portions of Scripture, and most of you know this, that the Word that He's talking about, the Word that He's speaking here, and Him being the Word, the personification of the Word, the living Word, are inseparable. They cannot be separated. So He's saying if you're going to build on the Word of God, you're going to be building on Me. And if you build on Me, you're going to be building on the Word of God. Because they're indistinguishable. You can't just know Jesus in some ethereal, abstract way and not bear down on understanding Scripture and pouring that in and building that into your life. At the same time, you can spend all your time studying doctrine and reading commentaries and really getting good in theology and miss the man that the theology is describing and miss the life. And the floods come and the rain comes and the wind blows and it sweeps us away. It sweeps us away. So we're going to talk about three things. Here's an outline for you. Uh, you can use it if you want. We're going to talk first of the foolish man. We're going to go to the end, talk about the foolish, then the wise, and then finally the rock. The foolish, the wise, the rock. Look at verses 26 and 27. Everyone who hears these words and does not do them is like a foolish man who built on the sand. The rain came, the wind blew, the, the uh, flood came, and, and great was the fall of it. Churches are full, folks. This is one of the things that really burdens most pastors. Some don't care. They're just out for money. That's not me. But I think you recognize there are charlatans out there that are out for money. They're out for power. They're out for prestige. And they don't really care what's going on out there as long as the the budget is going as long as all that's happening. But in most churches where you have pastors that really care and are giving themselves to the flock and really do love the people that they are serving, and the officers, the elders and deacons as well in our church, the thing that keeps us up at night, the thing that we worry about is, are you really hearing? Even in our own lives, are we hearing? I ask myself that. Am I hearing? Do I really believe what I'm saying? Sometimes I do. Sometimes I have doubts. And I hope that's a comfort to you. People can hear, but not listen. People can listen and not hear. Jesus said, He that has ears to hear, let him hear. Everybody is hearing. You're hearing. The difference is, what are you doing with what you hear? Is it becoming foundational to your life? Is it creating a substructure, a substrate that will hold up in the storms of life? Because you know what? We all get hit by the storms. They just do not stop coming. And what will happen when they come? And that's what he's getting at. He's talking about the kingdom and building a life on something that will stand, that will hold up. People hear, but like in the parable of the sower, some are indifferent, they don't care, it gets stolen away. Some get briefly excited, they get all really charged up, they ask John Calvin into their heart. They get born again for the second or third time, maybe. And they get real excited, but then as time goes on and life grinds us down, they let go. 
And others get so caught up in the world and its things, materialism, or any number of things, the Word gets choked. They may actually grow. They may spend their whole life in the church, but they get choked. And so the Word of God and the Kingdom of God becomes unfruitful in our lives. And this is the thing that Jesus was stressing to the crowd on the Sermon on the Mount and the thing that I want to stress to you. Because to hold up in life, on the storms of life, we need our feet planted strongly in the foundation of God's Word and the Word, capital W, Jesus Christ Himself. To hear, to listen, to understand is to take the Word of God and the person of Jesus and to work it into the fabric of your life in a way that sometimes is uncomfortable. It's not always easy. And so Jesus is saying, are there people that hear and do not understand? No, He's not talking about that. Everybody there understood. They understood at a certain level. But what do people do? What do we do? Think about what maybe what you've done in your life even recently. Sometimes we hear and we, we become... Uh, uh, we reject what we're hearing. We don't like what we're hearing. It, it opposes us or it crosses us in some way. We don't particularly like it. So we become indifferent. These are the people that would say to Jesus, oh, don't, don't listen to him. He has a demon. He's a Samaritan. What do we care? You know, they, they were pretending to be indifferent like they didn't care about him, but really they hated him. You couldn't hate him any worse than to call him a Samaritan, at least in their, in their culture. Or to say he had a demon while well, he's out of his mind. These are people that show extreme hatred or indifference, what we would say is indifferent to Christ. There are people that are outright rebellious. Who do you think they are? They said to him, who do you think you are? T- throwing over these tables and, 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 and chasing out these money changers. Who do you think you are? Rebellious in the face of the great king. Or they claim ignorance. In this passage, uh, and in the passage in Luke, these people that, that are at the judgment and they're saying, Lord, Lord, to Jesus, when did we see you hungry? When did we see you in prison? When did we see you here or there? When did we see... We didn't know. We didn't have enough information. I mean, wasn't all this other stuff good enough? I mean, look at all these things we're doing. They can claim ignorance. And we can do the same. So I didn't know. Oh, yes, we know. Or we can make excuses. And this is one that is really good. In our, in our culture, in American culture, we're very entitled. We're very privileged. We're all rich, by the way. You know that, right? Everybody in this room is rich. By any standard, anywhere on the planet Earth, we are all rich compared to the rest of the world. And so we are privileged people. We have everything. I have an iPhone up here. Look at that. Isn't that impressive? Please. All right. So, I mean, we have everything. But we also have, of, of all people in history that we know of, the, the highest degree of blame shifting and a sense of entitlement and our rights are all, we are always complaining about our rights being trampling. And I don't know how, look, folks, I have told you this now for almost a year. I don't understand, honestly, how anyone can read the New Testament. And come away with that kind of an attitude. Can somebody say yes and agree with that? No? I mean, how do you read your Bible 
and come away with an idea that we are entitled to all of this and we are owed it. And we should have it because we are better or somehow more privileged. The reason that we are so blessed and so privileged is because of what? What is the one reason? Starts with a G. Second letter is an R. What is it? Grace. God has, for, I don't know why. I don't know why he shot. I don't know why he gave me this iPhone. And it's better than your iPhone. I don't know why. But it's pure grace. And I'm not entitled to it. It's an absolute privilege. In fact, it haunts me because I think, gosh, you know, maybe I'm guilty. I shouldn't have this. I don't know why he blesses us the way he does, but he does. And so we should not have this, this uh, Christianity should not have people that are deflecting and equivocating and blame shifting and finding fault all around them. We need to look inside and then give our lives away in service and love and sacrifice to others. This is what the parable is saying, that if you're going to hear and listen to the message of the New Testament, it is going to reorient who you are at your deepest level so that you can get out there and actually make a difference in the world around you. This is what Jesus is talking about. The sand, the sand that people build on, are money. Career, success, family, marriage, children, grades. Look, kids, if all you're doing is trying to get a good grade, that's going to someday sweep you away because someday nobody is going to care about your grades. Right now, it may be important to get into college or to get into a good school or to, to, to do something with your life. Sure, you've got to make good years. Sure, you should try but if your whole life is based on that and you get a B or a C on your report card, your life falls apart, yes? What if your whole life is based on your marriage? i got the great marriage, I've got the ideal marriage, and things don't work out. What happens if your health, your body, the one thing we, we cling to, our body betrays us, and you go to the doctor and they say, hey, guess what, you've got fill in the mic. Or parents, what if you base your whole life on your children, how well and how cleaned up and how squared away they are, and one of them goes off the rails? Then what? Swept away. What if your career goes south, or your business, or your bank account gets dry? What, what happens? Do you see what I'm saying? What happens if you base all of your religious doings on a set of doctrines, and that's all there is, and somebody comes along, and believe me, I've met these people. They were in my seminary. They were professors. They could, they could, make you from, they could take you from a Calvinist to an Arminian in a heartbeat because they know the both sides, and they could confuse you to the point where you would be utterly talking to yourself. Then what do you do? I thought I was right about this. You better have your foundation on the rock on Jesus Christ and not these things because these things will let us down they're okay once you have laid the foundation of the word of God and Jesus Christ in your life then you can build on that then you're okay then you have a foundation then your life will hold up your career your family your marriage all those things will be strong if you want to protect your marriage build it on the foundation of Christ if you want your career to be meaningful instead of a drag and just draining your draining the life out of you sucking the life out of you build it on Jesus Christ kids if you want school and learning and a future career to matter build it on Jesus Christ do you see the difference? Build then. 
But don't build on that sand. It will betray you. So what does the wise builder do? Look at 24 and 25. We're kind of going backwards, but look. He says, everyone who builds, uh, uh, everyone who hears my word and does them, is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the same storm comes. The wind, the rain, uh, the, the, the foundation is, is, is attacked by this storm, this torrent. But this person is different. Listen, he hears, he or she hears, understands, obeys, takes it in. In other words, you're taking it into yourself. There's a difference between hearing, you know, we say in one ear and out the other, right? You've heard that saying? I'd even go for that. At least it's getting in. What happens is a lot of times it's just bouncing off our foreheads. It's like we're not hearing any of this. It's just bouncing off. We're not even getting it in at all. But what Jesus is talking about is it goes in. Hearing is not merely hearing. It's hearing and taking it in. Wrestling with it. Living with it. Even struggling with it. There are a lot of things I do not understand, folks. I've studied theology. I've been to graduate school, blah, blah, blah. There are still things that confuse me. I don't, we're going to come to the table in a minute. We're going to take Holy Communion as we do every week. And I've got to tell you, I still don't get this. I think it's awesome. I think it's amazing. I, I, hate, I hate not taking communion. But I still don't get it. How that little piece of bread and that little sip of wine somehow communicates, communion communicates to me the mystery of the Gospel. Wow! How? You can't explain that. You can't. But they hear it. They listen. They follow their shepherd. They follow their king. They obey their father in heaven. There's a relationship there that is beyond duty. You know, Jonathan Edwards talked about the difference between duty and delight. And John Piper, someone many of you are familiar with, John Piper wrote books about this, the difference between duty and delight, because he was a a fan of Jonathan Edwards, and so a lot of people have talked about this. The difference between duty and delight is not that hard to understand. If we obey only because of duty, it is just raw, it's empty, it's sterile. But if it's because of delight, then it takes on a whole uh, different look, a whole different uh, taste and feel to it. And I think, I think people have used the, the illustration, I've used it, if you come home uh, uh, with a, a bouquet of flowers for your wife, you remember that, I think I've said it before, and you give them to your wife, and she says, what's this for? Uh, it's not, our bir- not my birthday, it's not our anniversary, not any special occasion, why did you bring me uh, flowers? And you say to her, well, it was my duty. I owe you a bouquet of flowers. Well, you know, you did, what have you said? Nothing. You've said nothing about her. You've said a lot about you. Aren't you a good person? But you said nothing about her. But if you come home and you say to her, you know, why? It's not my birthday. It's not an anniversary. He says, you know what? You are awesome. You are delightful. You are beautiful. Be you, you have to say it that way. Beautiful. You see, you're wonderful. You're, you're, you're incredible. You're worthy to receive these flowers because it's all about you. Now you have all of a sudden you've transcended self and gone to another place. And what the Bible tells us is that bounces back, that reflects on us. 
Even your children, those of you that are parents, you know that if your kids, if they obey you because they love you and respect you and fear you in the right way of fear being an awesome respect of that person, if they do that for that reason, you know that it delights you in a way that no other kind of obedience could do it just because you're mean. I'm going to obey my dad or mom because they're mean to me. No, there's a whole different kind of delight. And that's what Jesus is talking about. It's the difference between obligation, doing something because you're obligated, or doing it because you honor and revere the other person and love them. It's about the heart motive. So this wise person is taking it in. And we need to understand that obedience, doing, supposedly doing the Word, is not achieving some level of perfection. I mean, who's going to do that? If you're doing that, if you're achieving some level of perfection, we need to talk. There's medication for you. I mean, nobody's achieving some level of perfection. No, what is he looking for? He is looking for one who will follow. Repent, believe the gospel, and follow me. Come after me with all your mess, with all your struggles, with all of your doubts, with your fears. How are you going to get rid of them if you don't follow him? How are, you gonna, how are you ever going to address your doubts if you don't follow Him and stay in communion with Him and stay in relationship with Him? Do we have in the church, do we believe that we have a relationship with this great God that is a father and child relationship or is it merely an employer and an employee? If that's how you see yourself, you're always going to be dealing with God on some sort of meritorious basis. You're not going to be able to get it. And I'm telling you from first-hand experience, I know what it is to be working for God and not serving the one I love. There's a whole difference, a world of difference. Obedience is not achieving some level of perfection, but it's simply following, heartfelt following, with all of your mistakes, with all your doubts, with all your fears, with all your mess. It is running to Jesus Christ with it all. Never running away from Him. Not trying to fix the mess once we make the mess. And then go to Him with our cleaned up mess and say, you know, I did my best to remedy this. No, no. You take it and you run there. That's what repentance is. Repentance has two ways that you go. One is away from sin and one is to Him. So you have not repented yet. Listen, folks, please. Don't confuse repentance with feeling bad about something and then just sitting there and feeling bad. That's not it. You have not repented until you have turned away from the sin and immediately run to Christ. Then you've repented. That's repentance. You don't repent until you get to Him. Do you see it? That's what it's about. And Jesus is saying that is what obedience is is all about. So what about the rock? Well, this is those first verses we read in verse 21. Lord, Lord, haven't we done all these great things for you? What is the focus? Think about it. Where would you accent that sentence? Lord, Lord, have we not done all these things for you? What would you underline in that sentence? Yeah, very good. See, theology class actually did you some good, right, Gail? You see? You know, that's my trick questions, right? It's not, it's not like they're saying, Lord, Lord. 
I mean, we like to think that's what they're saying. In fact, that's probably how it's coming out when they're about ready to, the, the trap door's getting ready to be pulled and they're going to drop into hell, right? They're, they're probably screaming, Lord, Lord, pretty loud. But the accent really is what Gail said. It's on we. Lord, Lord, did not we do these things? You see? Where you are accenting it makes all the difference in the world. And Jesus is saying, you know what? I don't even know what you're talking about. Because what I, my gospel is this. Mark chapter 1, Jesus says the gospel is very simple, folks. Here it is. You just write it down in your Bible, because if you do, it'll say... If you don't understand this, by the way, you really... Christianity is going to be a... a it is going to be a burden to you. And I don't recommend it. I recommend you find a different religion. But if you'll do this, then there's nothing like it in the world. It's delightful. Repent. Run from your sin. Run to Jesus. Believe the gospel. He's the rock. Follow me. Follow me. Bring your junk and follow me. He didn't tell Matthew, the tax collector, you know what, quit being a tax collector, then follow me. He said, follow me first. Then we'll deal with the tax collection and all the other stuff. In fact, I'm going to make you a fisher of men. Wow. How do you like that? Pretty cool. A life of honest, heartfelt repentance, brokenness, poverty, of spirit. No excuses, folks. Listen, no excuses. No blame shifting. It's their fault. It's this one's fault. No, the inner look. Look inside. What do I need to do? How can I change? I can't change any of you, but I can change myself, yes? So change yourself. And then the equation changes because when you change yourself, everything around you changes, yes? Has to. Has to. Because you've changed. Deep trust and faith in what Jesus has done for you. His perfect obedience. The gospel is about Jesus doing for us and living the life that we could not live. Living it for us and as us. Not so that we would never have to live that life, but so that we could. To free us. To break the bondage of sin and darkness and shame. To tear away the shackles so that we could be free to love and delight in Him. This is what it is to be born again. It is to have that old man put to death and a new man brought to birth. And that new man is the one that Jesus wants to follow Him. Okay? And finally, a life of robust, joyful obedience. In other words, if you're finding that obeying Christ is just, it's just too much burden, something's wrong, I beg you, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders. Let us help you. But don't stay under the burden because something is wrong. Christianity is not a burdensome religion. Jesus said, come to me, all you that labor and heavy laden. I'll give you rest. Come follow me. Learn of me. My burden is easy. My yoke is light. Come, look, see. Learn. So if Christianity is odious to you, if it's weighing you down, get some help. Come talk to us. Joyful obedience. Loving Him. Loving what He does. And when you sin, you run to Him. And He will find Him waiting. How do we lay this foundation? Well, what is the foundation? It's Jesus Christ and His Word. Where will it take us? Let me tell you, just let me put the cards on the table. Where is it going to take you? It's going to take you the same place it took him. A life of love, a life of sacrifice, a life of service, a life of humility, 
That's where it's going to take you. Can you buy that? Can you get into that? Say, you know what? Humility over power? Okay, I'll take it. If you want power, don't do it. Humility over power? Come join us. Others over self? You're going to put others first? Put your wife first? Put your husband? Put your children first? Put your pastor first? Emphasis on that one. Put your... Do you get the idea? I mean, put others first. Think about what you're doing in the world around you and how it's affecting others. Imagine what the world would be like if we did that. It would, it would, it would go crazy. They would go and they'd be lining up out here just to want to look at us because we're treating each other with such dignity and with such respect. And others that are not like us. Wow, what a world. And how do we know this foundation will stand? Well, let me close with this. The person in the flood. Think about what Jesus really did in coming to this world and being born in a manger, into poverty, into sorrow, into... He was a man acquainted with grief. Think about what he did, who he was. He came and put his life, folks, in the flood. And what was the flood? What was the flood that swept our dear Lord, Savior, God, and King? What hit him and swept him away? On the cross, our sin, our shame, our guilt, in the Garden of Gethsemane, on the cross, in the grave, He was swept away. He lost everything. He became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in Him. And in so doing, He becomes the rock of our salvation. You can take everything of your life, build it on that rock, and know that it will stand the flood. Not only the floods of of our occasional and daily life, those things that hit us throughout our lives, but in the end of days, in the ultimate judgment, when God is separating the, the, the lambs and the goats and He's separating the sheep and the goats and He's, he's, he's going to make a final determination on our life, the foundation of your life is not going to be any of those things we named. It's not even going to be our merit or our righteousness or anything in and of ourselves. The accent is not going to be on, on me. The accent is going to be on He. In Him we live and move and have our being. In Him we find redemption in Him. We are clothed with righteousness in Him. And that foundation you can build on everything else in your life. And it will stand not only the storms that come now, but that ultimate storm that will come in the end. Because the flood of judgment hit your Savior, hit your Jesus, swept Him into the grave so that we would never be swept away. Can we trust Him? Will we trust Him? I hope you will. Let's pray. Father, um, thank You for sending Your Son to come into this world of deep darkness and sin to take it for us, bear it for us, so that we could bear all things, so that we would have the privilege of taking up that cross and following Him who is worthy to be praised. We know it's not easy, Father, but we are determined that we are going to follow You for all of our lives. Give you everything. Build our lives on you, our identity, who we are, 
and what we do, all on the rock, that cornerstone of our foundation. Help us, I pray. Save us. Have mercy on us, O God, according to your grace. Amen.